So this is day two, and game servers are crashing. Players are finding ways to bring down our game servers. And what that means is the game server that owns the lock can't really say, hey, I've you know released that. It's dead. Um, and so we need another paradigm. And we see, all right, there's like 70,000 locked characters. We're, we're way up uh, from the you know 10,000 we were before. 10,000 is still, when I think about 10,000 people, that I'm preventing playing a game, that's extreme. Um, and I ran a query to get all of the affected players. So who are players who have their save data locked by a server? And we took down a production MySQL instance. Welcome back to the War Stories podcast on Critical Point. Uh, I'm Kevin Riggle. Uh, we're here with Zach Johnson to tell us about uh, an incident he was involved with, uh, which happened in the Diablo 2 Resurrected. Uh, Diablo 2 Resurrected launch when he was at Blizzard. Um, so super excited to get into that. Um, one tiny bit of podcast business uh, before I get started, uh, before we get started is that we are now available, as they say, wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, there's a link down in the description. You can go uh, subscribe to the audio version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, uh, like, and a bunch of other services. Um, we also have full edited transcripts up there. Uh, that's a very important thing. And you can also, of course, find the YouTube uh, link, which is the sort of still the main version, the video version of the podcast. So uh, we'll talk more about that uh, at the end of the show, but just wanted to uh, let folks just tuning in know about that upfront. Uh, with that, we will roll the titles and get started. Uh, it's really great to have you here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what uh, got you into a place where uh, you could break production? Sure. Uh, so my name is Zach Johnson. I am a software engineer who primarily works on the back end, so both on the software side, but also the integration points with like database and infrastructure. Um, currently at Disruptive Games, but at the time of the incident, I was at Blizzard Entertainment working on Diablo 2 Resurrected, uh, and this incident was around the time of the launch of Diablo 2 Resurrected. We had run a couple of public betas where people got to actually come in and test the game and whatnot. And this was going to the full feature launch of the game, um, where we had far more players than betas, given their uh, beta nature. And that led to the um, 
discovery of new issues due to the larger player base. Interesting. What's the kind of difference in player numbers between a beta and a launch? Uh, I know very little about the tech side of like online gaming, but it's fascinating to me. Uh, I can't recall the exact beta numbers and I don't think I could disclose those, sure. but I can say it's on the order of at least a magnitude and probably in the 50 to 75 times larger for the okay. full scale launch than the, the open beta we have. And this was an open beta, so anybody could oh. download for free. Okay. Um, still quite a difference in scale there. Yeah, quite, quite different. I guess often open betas have like a, they like wipe all of your character progression and, you know, items and things after the period. And so like, uh, there is a disincentive to, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, okay. So seeing somewhere between like 10 and a hundred X, the number of users, uh, a couple orders of magnitude on the day of all kind of landing on your head at once. That's exciting. <laughs> Very fun. Yeah. Uh, so, so what was the first thing that you noticed? So I think the, th this was day two, the day I took okay. production. Okay. Um, and day one had its fair share of issues as Diablo launches are historically known to do. Okay. Um, this was a case where on day one, we had issues, they came up, we resolved them. Nothing was to the degree of no one could play. It was frustrating for a few players. Maybe you got disconnected uh, for some amount of minutes but it wasn't a total outage. Um, so we came off of day one feeling relatively good about where things stood. Uh, obviously we wish it had gone better. We wish we had load tested this better, et cetera, but that's all retrospective stuff. Um, and when we came into day two, it was, all right, let's continue working on these known issues we have. Let's try to get the game in the most stable state possible. Um, and one of those issues was around character saves. Um, and this is where we'll have to get a little bit into implementation details to fully understand what went wrong. Um, but the important thing we wanted to ensure was that only one game server had mutable access to your save data. Um, this is the broken okay. issues where, you know, if you were somehow connected to multiple game servers, uh, there could be a last right win situation. There could be item duplication issues and the Diablo economy is very sacred to players. Like given some items are super rare, being able to duplicate them and treat them like candy could invalidate someone else's, uh, hard work. So sure. The, the sanctity of the economy was at the forefront of our mind. Okay. So by locking, so, so, let's go ahead. So sorry, so uh, partly for me, for, mm -hmm. uh, because I don't really have a picture of the system architecture in my head. So like when I log into, uh, uh, I don't think I've, I don't think I played Diablo, but other Blizzard games, like when I logged into WoW, for example, World of Warcraft, uh, the big multiplayer online uh, game, I would connect to a particular server. So there might be like a North America server and it would have a, a, you know, fancy name. And like some of the servers would allow player versus player combat. Some would just be player versus environment. Some would be like role play servers. And so I like naively sort of might think of those as being like, okay, there's a computer in like a uh, blizzard is Burbank. Irvine. Irvine. I did the same thing uh, the first time we <laughs> chatted. Uh, Blizzard is Irvine, and I might imagine that there is actually a physical box in Irvine with that name, like, uh, stenciled on the front that I am talking to. That's probably not what's going on here, but that's a, a sort of, you know, initial guess. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, don't quote me on this, I'm pretty sure all of the Irvine-based compute has been decommed or otherwise deprioritized, and it is largely... Uh, utilizing cloud infrastructure. 
okay, cool. So move to Amazon's web services or Google cloud or Microsoft cloud or whatever. Okay. So now there is a, a box somewhere in, uh, Oregon, uh, plausibly that Amazon owns and maintains and, uh, y'all have like a piece of that, uh, a, a virtual machine running on that box. Uh, mm -hmm. but it is like when I connect to, you know, uh, Rehoboth, uh, uh, server, I am connecting to like an actual, just like single, like probably fairly beefy virtual machine in AWS, for example. These were multi-tenant VMs. Uh, the game server process is pretty small. Oh, and interesting. So we, we were able to get quite a few running and there's reasons why you wouldn't necessarily want to do multiple processes in right. one VM. Yeah. Um, right. But it was definitely a possibility because the game server process is not super demanding, uh, oh, especially to a lot of the logic of Diablo 2. Uh, I should also clarify this point. Diablo 2 Resurrected was a remaster of the original game that came out in early 2000s. Um, and we wanted to keep as much of that code as possible because the original game was beloved. Um, so imagine that you take a game written in early 2000s and you want to run it on modern compute. It's probably going to do pretty oh, yeah. pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Where okay. it, it's lacking a few of our modern constructs, like there's linked lists everywhere. But you know okay. that's that's okay. Um, that's that's of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it works. Like the, yeah, absolutely. It oh, and all this stuff long. is probably written in C plus mm -hmm. um, running on Windows. I'm get guessing. Uh, it was at the time for early okay. 2000s. That was one okay. of our projects. Was like if we want if we actually want to scale at a cloud level, we need to get this running on Linux, and that was oh, something that we achieved. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine was at 37 studios back in the day and he was like the explanation he gave me for why they were running on windows at the time was that it was super important for the devs to be able to run the server and the, uh, client while they were doing development on the same, their physical workstations. But these days, I mean, uh, the ability to have devs spinning up VMs and, uh, is now so much greater that like, yeah, the world has changed a lot. And so interesting that that's a an evolution that's happened uh, in your space too. Okay, cool. Uh, and okay, so we're talking, so, so, and the goal then, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, is uh, it's very important for the sort of backend services. There's a shared database somewhere, which is maintaining like the state of which person owns which magic items. Uh, and so, all of the like servers that players are connecting to are then talking to this uh, backend database, and you've got a sort of uh, leader follower kind of setup where only one of these uh, database servers do we want to be active and like actually you know making updates to the database. The others exist sort of so that uh, because reads in this case are much more common than writes. So you want all of the reads going to like a uh, read replica and only the heavyweight, write Uh, activity going to the one master or the one sort of like leader, uh, database server. Is that. You're, you're correct on all points, except for one critical thing. Okay. And that is that you would think that reads are more common, but actually okay. writes are significantly more common. Oh, interesting. A game okay. like Diablo. Okay. Um, and this is this again goes back to the item duplication thing. If you have an item, it is paramount that that item exists once and only once. Um, and so you might think, all right, when someone picks up that item off the ground, we're going to create a save. Um, but 
Diablo 2 allows up to eight players per game. And you could be anywhere on the map in this game, right? You don't need to be playing together. You could be all over the world. Uh, and you could kill a monster extremely quick in Diablo, you know, just like snap your fingers and things are dying. You could be picking up items all the time. Um, and so there's plenty of actions in a game that could invoke a save. And really the only time a game server cares about reading your data is upon your initial join. And it's just going to make, you know, amendments to that existing save over time. So the, re the result of that is we were a very write-heavy game and not a very read-heavy game. So there was some architecture uh, considerations for that. Like instead of having a single source of truth global, base, uh, global database, we could have regional databases that do like a write-through. So I'm going to write to my regional. That's going to be far quicker latency-wise instead of if you're a European player writing over to America's. Okay. That would be a disaster for latency. Oh, God, um, yeah. So let's do some write-through model where we write to the regional and that eventually propagates back. Again, distributed systems create complexity and there's a whole bunch of complexity there and making sure yeah. once you log out, we persist that right up. Anyways. Yeah, um, sounds like fun. Okay, yeah. yeah. The, key, the key insight there is that we are a write-heavy model. Write-heavy right? model, is, okay. That is where this system is going to fall apart. Okay, I think also you said something that I hadn't uh, picked up on. I was thinking of Diablo 2 as being ki kind of like World of Warcraft in having like a bunch of people, but no, you have like only up to eight people sort of like playing together. And so that's a, I don't know how much that changes the backend model, but like, yeah. Um, yeah, this is also an artifact of early 2000s game design because a absolutely. lot of modern game like Diablo 4 has moved to what is more similar to the WoW model, right? Where okay. there's a shared hub where everyone match makes two and yeah. then you run off on your own and those might be their own servers hosting their own instances. But to the player... There is no concept of a game or a lobby. It's just an open world they could go out and explore. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Diablo II Resurrected did not have such a fantasy. And it's right. you're going to mm -hmm. click a game in this list and you're going to go there. Right. And you know who the other seven people are. And you'll have fun that way. Uh, nice. So it is uh, a different kind of game design. Yeah. Yeah. Um, different different uh, trade-offs to make there. But okay. Um, and I guess like... Hmm. Is it the case that you can assume that generally people will be writing to the same, uh, will be in the same regions? And so I guess they're all on the same server. So it's not about where the players are, it's where the server they're connected to is. And yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you just have to worry about the server's connection to the backend database rather than the um, player's connection to the backend database, which is, Correct. which is nice. Okay. So, um, We've got a uh, game server. We've got uh, the backend database. We're doing a ton of rights to it. Every time, every time one of those little goblins goes down and drops a pile of gold, we we're yeah, um, adding a row to a database somewhere, <laughs> maybe a few rows. <laughs> yes, it it can be. It's a lot of rights, and I should clarify that um, rather than doing a row per item drop, which is a, a little bit more modern of like immutable ledger style of like, here's oh, yeah. all the events that have gotten us to this state. It was just a, a binary object that got stored in the database, right? Like serialize player's inventory, shove it in here. Oh, um, interesting. And it's binary objects are very large. And, you know, you have to consider yeah. what is our database technology going to do with possibly 8K, 16K of data that we're shoving into a row. Um, okay. And checking for changes in that. So very the unst and unstructured data. It's just a blob. Yep, unstructured. And and are we up? We're like updating the same row every time this. Yes. Changes interesting. Okay, uh, as 
like as a software engineer this i like i i worry about you know changes to serialization and deserialization formats this this like indexing like all of this is starting to to give me heart palpitations but mm -hmm. uh okay this is a and this is a somewhat different model than what i'm used to you know from a like sql kind of world where you know everything is very structured and I guess what I'm also taking on this is that you're not really doing queries on the information in this blob, like yes, and that, that's the key insight. We are we were using MySQL. That is the backing okay. database for this. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, but the, it's very it's very performant. Yeah, the queries we're interested in aren't about the player's inventory. That has okay. almost never been a business logic factor. That's more of a after the fact business analytics factor. Okay, uh, and we capture that kind of data through on demand gameplay events that gets into telemetry. So just your elk stack that's running like, okay, player oh, picked sure. up this item. So okay, if we thanks. want to do business insights, we do it there. And then the got database it. is strictly uh, the true state of the player. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Interesting. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> with that with that sort of like systems context, with this little system diagram in our heads, someday I'm going to do these podcasts with a whiteboard and like <laughs> uh, that'll make, make it uh, easier to visualize. But... Uh, with this little system diagram of you know game server database uh, players uh, updating this row in the database with this this blob of player inventory data uh, very frequently, uh, what what happened? What's next? <laughs> yes. So let's talk about locks. Mm. Um, and specifically, this is an abstract concept that we are putting on the MySQL model, not necessarily like a lock you would think in SQL, like I'm going to read this row, let me lock these rows. Oh, interesting. Okay, so not actually using MySQL's built-in sort of transaction row locking mechanisms. We, we will use that. That's ultimately what brought down production. Spoiler. Okay. Um, but <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> the, the locks here are the abstract model we're applying. It's effectively another name for a mutex, where right. the game yeah. server says, I am the exclusive owner of this. Okay. When I update this player's data, it will succeed. No one else can do that, such that I know that my view of the player's data is true. Interesting. So you're sort of, you're layering. So there's another table in the database, which is basically like which game server uh, owns this player's uh, data and is allowed to write to it. Yep. And uh, at least theoretically in the game code, you're supposed to check that table, make sure that it's you as the game server before you go do the writes. Um, I'm guessing that that something, I'm guessing that something here broke. I'm guessing that that didn't work. <laughs> so luckily the way it broke is the way we want it to. And by okay. that, I mean, player, player save data is paramount. It is the thing yeah. we care about most. We don't want to corrupt saves. We don't want to duplicate yeah. items, et cetera. So what happened on day two was that these locks were not releasing correctly. You can imagine okay. a case where it's C++, memory safety is tough to do. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Memory oh. safety. A um, polite suggestion at best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is day two and game servers are crashing. Players are finding ways to bring down our game servers. And what that means is the game server that owns the lock can't really say, hey, I've you know released that. It's dead. Um, and so we need another paradigm. We do have timeouts on locks, et cetera. Like if a game server goes down and never comes back, how do we handle that case? That was considered. Um, but you have to imagine a player is clicking and now nothing is happening. And they're like, server crashed, I'll go find a new game. So they go back, they find another game, they hit play, and their old server has not come back up. There is no way for that server to say, hey, release this lock, because it's not back yet, it's still dead. You know, you can imagine some cron job that's just looking, should I bring back the server? And unfortunately, they were named servers and like server one, two, three, and not 
you know, something more modern where it's like, we don't care about the server instance. Oh, um, sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So this is servers are still pets here. Yes. Um, They're definitely pets and not cattle. So when yes. server 100 goes down, it's going to come back up uh, and then release the locks it had. But okay. prior to that, it still has the lock. Interesting. So, and so the, the server actually has to affirmatively sort of like update this row in the database saying, I'm no longer the owner of correct. this thing. There's not like, I was sort of imagining when you said that the locks time out that like when I grab the lock as the game server, I also sort of timestamp that. Yep. And another game server knows that after, you know, five minutes or whatever, uh, it if that row hasn't been updated, then it can grab it itself. But like, no, the server, the original that game server. That was the case. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. So we had some relatively short timeout, you know, make it three minutes. Let's say five is also a good number. I don't recall okay. what it was exactly. But as a player, you know your game server crashed, and you know you want to keep playing. So you're going to hit play right away. Like, find me another game. And you're like, all right, I got a game server here. Let me join. And the game server says, no, I can't lock your data. You don't get to play. Right. And so now a player is sitting in the front end and being told they can't play the game because their yeah. data is locked. And unfortunately, we did put the error message that says save data is locked. So if you go and look at the forums or the blogs at the time, we talked about lock save data all the time, which is like, Revealing the implementation details to players isn't a huge deal, but as a developer, they start talking about it as if there's solutions they could offer. And it's like, oh, yes, right, yes. yes. Just unlock it. I forgot to. No, right, just, yes. It, okay. it, it's just one of those things where it's like, I understand why there's very vague error messages now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's always I, been a thing. You know, there's, yeah. you know, the error codes, you know, uh, I play a lot of Star Citizen and like for a long time, the 30K era, the dreaded 30K mm -hmm. era error, which was just like, the game server has gone away. Uh, have a nice day. Um, and so when the things started getting iffy in game, you know, chat would suddenly fill up with like 30k question mark, uh, until either like the game server recovered or you got the, you know, kicked out of the game. Uh, but I don't know, I find as a player, it's nice to have at least sure. a little bit more context, just because otherwise you're sitting there staring at, you know, yeah. something that says 30k and you're like yeah this is this is my bruised and fragile ego talking of course because in the moment when this bug True. is happening and you have players giving feedback like hey i'd like to play the game like right i'm yeah. trying i'm really trying right yeah 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 uh, and they're like yeah like you say uh uh if i were a you know game developer i would simply not lock the yeah. save data. i would just <laughs> unlock the save data unlock if it's locked unlock it what are you doing come on guys what are you doing <laughs> yeah like distributed systems are hard. Well, I hope that this, you know, podcast uh, helps, maybe helps explain to some players, like, why it is not as simple as unlocking uh, the save data, um, a little bit of what's going on uh, behind the scenes. So, okay, so players are starting to see, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're starting to get kicked out of the game, mm -hmm. uh, or this game, the game's stopping, it stops responding. Yep. And... Uh, then they go to log in again and they see save data locked and they can't continue playing. And, and there's, there's no action they could take to fix this. Right, there right, isn't no. like a, okay, unlock me, roll back my save data. I don't care that I lost a little bit of progress. It's just, you can't play until, um, we unlock that save data. So this was our dilemma to solve on day two is this happens and it's unfortunate, right? But servers are going to crash. And if you wait five minutes, you'll be unlocked and you get to play. Except some players weren't being unlocked. And we saw that there was a growing number of people who were just stuck in this locked state. 
at first it was a thousand and then it was five thousand and it was ten thousand. And you think these are players that are unable to play, period, and we can't tell them just to wait it out. There's right. some bug here we don't understand fully. Right. Okay. And how did you notice this? Was it like the forum started filling up or like what was the first thing that sort of like got people's attention? The forums is a big one. And okay. Blizzard is in very good, they have a very good customer service department where there are people actively monitoring Twitter. Bless their hearts. That job must be miserable. But they're, <laughs> they're getting player feedback and they're passing it on to the game team. Like, hey, these players are complaining about this. What can we okay. do about it? Okay. Um, and so we saw the volume of that increase. Okay, and so you're so so. I forget. I don't think we actually said what year is this. Oh yeah, um, this is September 2021. 2021. Oh okay. Oh, so this is very recent. Very okay. recent. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so Twitter is a thing, and you're getting this feedback basically in real time. Then. In real time. And yeah. the the um, internal customer support processes are able to start feeding this into uh, to the devs in basically real time. And yeah. so okay, that's nice. So you don't and have to wait. Like we did in the old days till like, you know, somebody, you know, until that forum thread uh, blew up and the forum moderator like sent an email out and, and, and uh, like some, somebody from the social team is just like, you know, uh, you know, raises an incident in Slack basically. Mm -hmm. And like everybody starts working on it. And we got feedback even quicker, which okay. is funny. Um, but we, Blizzard makes video games, and yeah. video games are streamed on yes. multiple websites. There's YouTube, there's Twitch. Yes. Uh, there might have been Kick at the time. Like, there's a lot. Yeah, uh, it's become huge. Like, yeah, exactly. Who and knew so, that watching people play video games is actually a lot of fun and yeah. and obviously successful business? Like, yeah, I, me too. I watch streamers all the time. I watch esports, etc. So when yeah. you launch a well, game, you boot up Twitch. At, yeah. When we met, I was in Las Vegas for uh, Black Hat, the cybersecurity conference, but you were in Las Vegas for um, Evo. Evo fighting game tournament yes uh which was happening at the same uh convention center and it was like super fun across the hall yeah. figuring out who was there for which which uh <laughs> conference yeah it was great so and it made connections like this happen so okay so are are you like internally like watching twitch streams oh, of yeah. people playing okay blizzard was sponsoring certain big streamers to get them play the game and whatnot i had already oh no okay well, oh, yeah. that's even better yeah like, worse. oh like, it gets yes. it gets worse okay. um but there are streamers that i enjoyed as we developed the game, people were just like, oh, I've played Diablo 2 for years. They're remastering it. How cool. And those yeah. people are like the passionate ones. And those are the people yeah. you're making the game for, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is their childhood we get to bring back to life and play yeah. with other people. Yeah. Um, and not to Zoomer anybody out, but like I was four when the game came out, I believe, yeah. originally. Yeah. And I, my mother isn't letting a four-year-old play Diablo. It's a very gory, no. bloody, demonic game. Yeah, um, and so just to be able to experience that and play the game they remember is super cool. So I wanted to see the reactions on Twitch of people just smiling and laughing and enjoying yeah. the game. And I boot up a Twitch stream and it just says "save data locked," and that's <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's devastating. Um, and you're like, oh, not only is this bad for them, these people I care about, this is my fault. <laughs> yes, it's my I'm fault. <laughs> I got to go fix this. Yes. Um, and so the way we established the not necessarily root cause but a symptom. Right. is run a SQL query and see what locks have expired, as in are older than five minutes and are still being held. Like we haven't cleared out that row or reset the timestamp, et cetera. Um, and when we ran that query periodically, it was just growing. And so our solution is, we don't know why these aren't being released, but we can manually release them until we fix that bug. We're going to update the rows where the lock timer is greater than that five minutes you know, and they haven't been released. And then players, if they retry again, should be able to get into games. 
Okay. So okay. our that was our plan. Every yes. X minutes, someone go check it and manually release oh. them. Oh, wow. So somebody's sitting there with a SQL uh, console open, logged into the production database, main production database uh, as an admin user every five minutes being like, uh, update, you know, uh, update owner for all, you know, where all, whatever. Um, okay. That's and, I, yeah, right. We've all been there. We've all yeah. been there. And this is having to do it every five minutes is a little bit more aggressive. It's a little extreme. But yeah. Yeah. And it was something that was scriptable. We didn't yeah. dare script it because right. doing not that to a moment. production database is real scary. Yeah. Not in the, not in the moment. Like yeah. we can, we can like patch stuff over, especially for, I guess for a live thing, for a live uh, service, we can patch stuff over with somebody just pressing enter, uh, for a while, uh, eventually we'll eventually we'll give them a drinking bird that can do that automatically, <laughs> and then we'll write the script, and then we'll go on from there. But yeah, uh, so that that was the play. We're yeah. going to do this periodically, um, and we're going to let people play and whatnot. Right. And so right. that we were doing that on as early as day one, okay? Because um, we okay. saw that issue happening, we caught it in the second half, and like, all right, this is yeah. something we'll address tomorrow in day two. Okay, and I log in for day two. You know, good old seven a.m. on day two of our product launch. You got to be yep. in pretty early for your shift. Yep. And we see, all right, there's like 70,000 locked Oh, no. We're, okay. we're way up yes. uh, from the, you know, 10,000 we were before. 10,000 is yep. still, when I think about 10,000 people that I'm preventing playing a game, right. that's yes. extreme. But, yes. you know, 70. Yeah. 10,000 is more than lived in the town that I grew up in. Exactly. So, like, that's, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's not like, it's not a city. It's a town mm -hmm. but it's a lot still a lot of people and when you think about holding the happiness of a small town in your in the palm of your hand it's like yeah, ah, yeah. I, I need to fix this i need to fix this yeah and so day one we were pretty cautious again like like you mentioned doing these queries on a production database is dangerous work so we ran this by our database experts uh dbes and we'd like hey here's the queries we're going to run please give them a look over and then we'll run them day two my ego had gone unchecked for all of day one because we were fixing problems left and right. And it feels good to fix problems and see people play and et cetera, et cetera. So day two, we're like, we're, let's keep trucking on. Let's do what we did yesterday. Um, and I ran a query to get all of the affected players. So who are players who have their save data locked by a server? And I was going to put this in a temporary table and then we could start developing a script that does this unlock based on this table of data we have now that's okay. a temp table and not the main data. Okay. So I ran my SQL query, uh, oh. select star from players where blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And then I ran it and then it didn't respond. And then it didn't respond. And then a bead of sweat rolls down my face as I hear someone else from the call say, oh, I just disconnected from the game. And so my query to create a temp table locked every row in the players table in order to create that temporary table. And so these game servers that are trying to save out have these rows locked, they're failing to save. Now the database is go getting overwhelmed and total oh. system outage as game servers can't write. There's not a, there was a ba exponential back off. It was not an effective exponential back off. Database is getting repeatedly slammed and we took down a production MySQL instance. Okay. And so this is not 
getting locked at the game server level. This is not getting locked in this lock table that we have. This is the underlying MySQL locks, yes. uh, MySQL sees, oh, we're doing a, uh, I guess, yeah, it's an up. I'm, I'm curious why it wound up locking those rows if you were just reading from them to create the temporary table. That is surprising I'll mention to me. that yeah. I did not get this query signed off by RDBs. Okay. Which is okay. an important distinction. <laughs> this is the first time we broke from procedure and did not, okay. you know, run these queries by. It was 7 a.m. Right. Right. I wanted to be helpful. Right. Um, yeah. And I right. was slightly less than helpful. Um, <laughs> slightly. Slightly less than helpful. Um, and so we did. And uh, there was another incident in the betas that didn't mention, but um, we found another way, uh, another bug in MySQL involving okay. too many mm. concurrent connections, okay. which is a really fun one to solve. But that's um, also very fun. Yes. Yeah. Because you imagine we have lots of game servers that all need to connect to this global database. Right. There is a limit. We yes. found it. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. St story for a different time. Uh, okay. It, in that moment, it's like, all right, this query I ran yeah. took us down. It caused now major contention down. of the database. Now hard We've down. gone dark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. What did you do? In the moment, the only thing you can do is be 100% honest. Like, I ran this query, and this is what happened. Yeah. Um, how do we get back to a point where anybody could play, period? Yeah. And so this involved paging a DBE right away. I don't, yep. there might have been one on the call at the time, but, you know, page out, create the incident. Yeah. Um, and we got the instance back online, SQL instance, and we saw game servers successfully connecting again and whatnot. Okay. Um, so through just standard operating procedure, everything kind of self-healed to where players could occasionally jump on and play a game and we're seeing some, some sort of recovery. Um, the fallout is where things got interesting because we started with you know 70,000 locked characters um, after things came back up, I believe we were at around 250,000 locked characters. So basically anybody in the game at the time who got disconnected is now in this garbage state uh, that okay. we need to figure out how to resolve. Got it. Okay. So, okay. So you've run the query and it's locked the entire player database. Basically, uh, all of the game servers are like, can't talk to the database. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> Um, are they down or are they just like, that's a, that's a really good question. I believe our logic at the time was a crash. I believe the game servers just crashed rather than stayed alive, waited for the connection to come back. Okay. Uh, okay. I'd have to, to really dig through the archives there, but the, yeah. the end result for players was the same in that nothing they were doing was working right. uh the, the saves <laughs> were care. not happening right so yes okay and then and so the database is actually the database has actually also just crashed like yes. the mysql process is just like has stopped running yes okay interesting interesting that's also surprising to me but uh so okay so so game servers are are crashed mysql process is crashed uh somewhere there is a little watchdog probably timer, which is going to go restart these things. Uh, but like the DBE can also come in and just go like prod the MySQL process until, uh, you know, un 
and like start to do one. Right. I, I believe is, the, the actual recovery process there was we switched our replica database okay. to be the primary. Okay, great. Oh, primary yeah. is long dead. Right. Um, yes. And at okay. least we could recover more quickly and not fiddle with starting up a process and maybe not have, have some to room to yeah. deal with look like reading all of that data off of disk. Yes, to correct. yeah get started which which is why we have replicas in the first place so great okay so so the <laughs> failover there happens properly then mm -hmm. yeah. uh whether that's a manual failover an automatic failover uh like you go from the the primary to the replica replica is now uh the new primary uh congratulations on your promotion uh <laughs> now get me some fucking air support um uh, and the so the game servers can now connect to the new primary but the uh these pretty much everybody in the game now is in this like locked save file state okay and so a few thoughts there one yeah. once players can start reconnecting that feels good uh that's like, yes that's a sign of recovery two yes. things are worse than when i started we yes. still have <laughs> the locked character issues and now there's more of them how do we actually want to address this and three this is a personal one but I am responsible for all of this. Right. This is also the most major screw up of my career, bar none, right? This is, yeah. I, my actions have caused hundreds of thousands of players to feel worse. Yeah. And that is just, that's not why I wanted to make games or be a software engineer. I want these people to be happy. Yeah. And so in that moment, I am feeling a devastation I have not felt before in my professional career. Like that, yeah. this is my fault. So once things have stabilized and we know what the situation's like, I need to take a walk. I just, yeah. I asked the warum, hey, I am more emotional than I am rational right now. I need to step away, but I'll be back to help. So I, in hindsight, that was a very healthy thing to do. And I'm glad I did. I did two laps around my neighborhood, uh, just really took some deep breaths, grounded myself. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to contribute again to the problem we have. Um, and that's when you go to the, the incident leader and like, how can I be useful? Yes. Yeah. No longer do I want to be running the queries. Yeah. Um, I'll do it if I need to, like if I need to be right. the one to execute them, but I want to be helpful first and foremost. So how do I be helpful? Yeah, good. Um, yeah, that I... is very, that is very smart. So much of, so much of incident response is about managing, like, you know, as a subject matter expert, like my own emotional state and, you know, m keeping it in a place where I can be productive and useful. And, and so also like, this is 2021. So this is fully remote. You're working from home. Yeah. Everybody else is also working from home. Yes. The Blizzard operations team was on site. Um, okay. I believe they were the only people approved to be on site were okay. people who like monitor the global operations. Yeah. Um, but yes, everyone okay. else was fully remote. Okay. Oh, and so, so Blizzard has basically a software operations center. We would call it, uh, mm -hmm. in, in Irvine, Irvine. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so those were the people who were, um, that's oh fascinating that talking with them sounds mm -hmm. like it would be uh yes. yeah oh they uh, have some stories i, I hope bet. you can find a <laughs> I bet. Yes. operation center person yes i used to work at akamai i forget if we talked about this um and you know our network operations folks there were i worked a lot with them uh and we actually had like follow the sun kind of coverage and do we have the big sort of like mission control space in the office in boston that uh it was a little bit for show, but it was also real. And yeah, and it was the kind of thing where like everybody, you know, that was the kind of, you know, way that we sold people on working at 
Akamai was like, you know, you can be part of a thing, right. uh, 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 organization, which does this, like we were delivering a quarter of the traffic on the web in that era. And so like, that's was like, yeah, you can be mission control for a quarter of the web. Um, and Blizzard, it's, you can be mission control for WoW and Diablo 2 and all these other games that, yeah, people love and enjoy. So, okay. But most of the people on this incident uh, are remote. Are you all, like, is there like a, a, a Zoom call? Is there like a yeah. Slack channel? Yeah. Is there, what's the, how are you coordinating? So for, for a launch in particular, we had a war room, which is okay. just a Zoom yeah. call with stakeholders. That could be right. our immediate team and then the operations center. And then, you know, C-suite level, if they were interested, that typically doesn't happen. Until you bring down the yeah. game, then they're really interested. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Okay, yeah. cool. I, and so this is a, and so, oh, because this is a launch, this is just a thing that you, like, set up from the beginning. You, like, we know that we're going to need to coordinate. We know that stuff is going to break. So we're just going to be on the call. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this was at least already something, like, you didn't have to wake people up. Get exactly. People out, the, the, out of bed. The, it, this was 7 a.m., uh, so right. some people did not like being in the call that no. early, but it was a no. known factor. And right. certainly the yes. time to response is significantly higher when you have the Zoom call already running and you make the mistake. So Yes, exactly. Yes, cool. Well, and, I don't know. Personally, I always prefer doing this stuff over audio rather than like over Slack. Yeah, but so, okay. Definitely. So, uh, and who's, who is sort of like the incident commander? Uh, who's, who's running the incident it or is, the launch? It is a rotation. Okay, um, good. So there's someone from the various tech leads across Blizzard, and not even in Diablo, but just like every team. Like you okay. could have the World of Warcraft tech director doing your incident, and that's just okay. to get operational knowledge across and have people be less siloed, which okay, is, good. in my mind, a very good idea. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, yeah. you can't do stuff of this complexity without it, I, yeah. I believe. <laughs> and so uh, I forget who was the incident manager at the time, but just a tech director who was, you know, Trying to ask the right questions to get us to resolution. Right. Um, yes. And then fairly seen, like senior enough senior. in the organization. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. And then leading on our team side was myself, given my okay. knowledge of the systems we had, um, but also my manager, who was, you know, the more formal POC of like, hey, how can we do this, et cetera. Right. So I was more doing more of the. Yeah, I was doing more of the grunt work more than the, you know, directional of like, let's choose to do this, let's choose to do that. Got it. Okay. And the managers, your manager is probably also coordinating with other teams as necessary exactly. to like get work to happen, make, yes. make things go. Okay. And your team is responsible for the, not the, not like the databases directly, but sort of the game servers interaction with these databases. Yeah. Well, the, when I say my team, I'll refer to the server engineering team. And that was okay. about six or seven people. Okay. And and then uh, SREs as well, very important. And so those yeah. folks are monitoring health, and we're more, more so monitoring, um, I guess, also health, but not system health, but like gameplay health and right. you know, um, application health right? versus exactly. the underlying sort of like health of the the computers. Yeah. yeah. And so my my role in that incident was, hey, given this bug, what do we think the cause is? How can we investigate it? Let's get more info on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And. This is very early in my career. I'm saying that still very early in my right, career, but I think this was my later, sure. Yeah, this was my second full year in okay. the industry, and okay. so I yes. was certainly out of my depth in terms of like depth of knowledge. But I knew our architecture pretty well. Yeah, I could tell you what's likely going wrong, and so yeah. when these okay, things happen, cool. I'm I'm like throwing out solutions and yeah. running queries before getting approval, and you know just the 
right the right, run of the mill yeah. stuff like that yeah 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 okay okay so so you go take a lap around the neighborhood you go like talk talk to the incident manager be like i gotta i gotta step away i gotta yeah like take a deep breath see see the sky touch grass uh as the kids say and uh uh come back in a frame of mind to be to be helpful and so here you are back yes. uh yeah back to the desk and the first thing i observe is we are actively working on the scripting method to release these locks now okay. um given that releasing 250,000 uh manually would not be necessarily wise, um, given that one, I had just introduced major lock contention with a single query. Uh, we were looking for a slower burn way to release all of these locks and one that we could leave passively going as we investigate the root cause, which is somewhere in the game server. Okay. Yeah. And so given that, given that like this, what was supposed to be a non destructive, you know, uh, non locking, uh, read query, uh, has just locked all of the rows and taken the game server down hard uh, and the database down hard. Uh, yeah, doing a, not destructive, but like mutating, you know, updating all of these rows, you know, in the whole player uh, table is also probably going to lock all those yes. rows. It is definitely going to lock all those rows and it's going to take the, uh, yeah, game server down hard again. Let's not do that. That sounds, that's, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. So we decided let's commit to doing the scripting strategy, kind of forced our hand on that one. But at this point, let's commit to it. And then while I gave feedback there and like, here's what I did, here's the query I ran. I don't remember it offhand, which would have been helpful info, but you know, here's what I ran. Um, here's how we could approach doing the scripted solution. I then moved over to the C++ side and said, where is this bug? Let's try to get a software solution to this, so we don't need to be running database queries anymore, because this is madness. Right. Yeah. Um, we can put the we can put the fire out, or and we can we can sort of yeah, like set up this process to sort of like patch stuff over every five minutes. But like yeah, we gotta we gotta solve this longer term so that we, you know, not you know the the the, the fire isn't just out, but like the building is actually like patched up and, and like structural again. Okay. And yet that was the rest of my Tuesday was okay, yes. wallowing in guilt and simultaneously <laughs> looking for the solution that gets us in a better place. Yeah. Um, and I think that solution actually came on Wednesday. I think the day after we found like, here's, okay, day three. if it's not the root cause, it's certainly a bug. And we can one of the contributing solution. factors yes. we would say in, in my, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, in my lexicon. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. What was the, what was the, what was the bug? had to do with string comparison and classic it's it's <laughs> yeah especially to i forget what encoding we were using for oh no the database <laughs> in particular i'm sure it was okay the um the one that gets thrown in examples all the time i'm sure that was the one we were supposed to be using utf8 uh there's some like specific extension to that like uh i'll have to find it i'll, I'll google it okay um, yeah there's some encoding we we're using on the database, which was correct. And then okay. what the game yeah. server was sending was slightly different variant because at the time we were not allowing Unicode player names. Um, oh, it was ASCII only, which was okay. a Diablo two restriction. Okay. Um, sure. Right. That's, yeah. that's something that, early, yeah. 2000, early 2000s. Uh, yeah. Who's on the, the ASCII. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so 
that yeah. did eventually change because we felt like, hey, let's let yeah. people communicate in and express yeah. themselves in languages. They right. Prefer. We have players outside of the U.S. now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's, let's let's actually think globally a little. But we yeah. so we made that change later, and we just while we were working yeah. on the bug fixes, like, wait, this string comparison just interesting won't interesting. work in certain cases. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I. If it had been a pure ASCII versus to UTF-8 comparison, I believe that should be uh, it should have worked. Yep. Yeah. Like now Windows defaults to UTF-16 as its native string representation for mm -hmm. uh, reasons. So that would like, especially if you were doing the comparison bite-wise, um, then that would, yeah, that would break if, but that should have broke. I don't know. Um, I implemented Unicode support as like, my first project out of school. And uh, so I have all of these details uh, locked away in neurons that <laughs> I access only under duress, but- <laughs> you, you read code point and it just all comes flooding back to you. It really does, it really does, yes. So, okay, so there's a string comparison error uh, issue where like under certain circumstances, certain players' names just like, uh, so, and that's interesting. Okay, so the server can correctly write their names or something, you know, this comparison is happening correctly on the right of this lock, but it's not happening correctly on the release of this lock. Yeah, and it, I, I believe when I say string comparison, obviously those the failure is happening because we can't associate this player with this row and unlock right. the data or whatever. Yeah. Um, I believe it was something due to like the size of the buffer in certain cases, et cetera, where we're like truncating off or... Uh, oh, interesting. Just like the okay. last few characters, or whatever. The the exact details. Yeah, it's, lost on me. Lost. That's fine. Yeah, but uh, okay. the the ultimate cause there was like, okay, this is of course is a very simple fix to actually unlock these players right. once we go looking for it and run with a debugger and et cetera. Et okay. Et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So there, it just straight up there is a bug in the game. Yeah, like 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 you sort of you know the ultimate conclusion here really is just like kind of where you started. Like there's a bug somewhere in the game, which is not releasing these locks. We go find where that bug is and we go fix that bug. And now the game starts releasing the locks. Yep. And this was a thing we caught in beta and we, we okay. assumed as risk because right. we need to release a product. We put out the date, et cetera. Right. And we're accepting this risk. We know it right. can happen. We didn't think it would happen on this scale, right. uh, which is okay. why the bug wasn't as prioritized. And then it sure. happened. We prioritized the bug and right. then things get okay. fixed and that's just game production in action but oh yeah typically but, we skip the part in the middle where we take that in production we try we try <laughs> but obviously not always okay and so in in the beta you were seeing this in like you know like one two three kind of players out of the what was it you know ten thousand uh had this issue so you're like and <laughs> there are many issues which are affecting like 50 100 250 players, which you're like, we got to fix these first. You know, we know that these are going to cause problems. Uh, uh, we, you know, the ones that are affecting a thousand players, like we can't launch the game without fixing them. So like, you're just burning down yep. sort of based on like observed uh, incidents of these issues. And once you get down to a certain level and the release date is, you know, next week or two weeks from now, you're like, we got to make the launch commit. Uh, we got to get this out. And then, uh, you encounter the real world and it turns out that, you know, of the 190,000 more people who are suddenly showing up to your game uh, now, like, you know, thousands of them uh, have whatever underlying 
you know, quirk of reality that causes them to hit this failure case. And oops. <laughs> yep. yeah. And we didn't, the, along with the lower player count in beta, we had very few server crashes in beta. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Which is part partly of like, okay, we made some, between beta and launch, we made some changes that were unstable. We got to okay, review our yeah. code review process because yeah. that's the volume increase of that is kind of, Unnerving. That's concerning. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then additionally, um, the beta only went up to character level 30 of 100 total in the full game. Okay. And only two of the acts, and there's five acts. So there's, you know, significantly less content to be explored and reveal crashes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. To some certain degree, we were expecting more crashes, but sure. Um, it was a thing we had to figure out. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you were kind of hoping for this stuff to wait until people hit character level 30, which would take them at least, what, like, a few days? Nope. I No? Okay. <laughs> You'd think. Okay. But man, the speedrunners for this game could get, you know, to level 80 in about six hours. Okay. So, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I'll say that, that it's not a linear scale from 1 to 100. It is, like, exponential. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But still, the... Okay. That's... Right? Yeah. It's been out incredible. for a while, and they know all the tricks. That's true. Yeah. They've had a decade... No, they've had 15 yeah. years... Or something to go figure out all of the shortcuts so okay so you do well and you knew that you were going to hit this stuff at least but also like i don't know i i suspect that the speed running community understands that like if the beta only goes up to level 30 yeah. uh six hours in they're at level 60 and then they hit some bug they're like yeah they, they know what's going on um yeah and this the the locking issue so this was one of the, you know, we got to release these locks, but people having their accounts locked is just an unpleasant thing. Because if you're playing and the server crashes and you have to wait for it to come back up and you don't know when Blizzard brings the servers back up to unlock your stuff, like it's all, it, it was poorly architected from the beginning is what we learned over the months. Um, and so there's actually a few blog posts that we wrote to explain our, our technical changes that were coming to save data to fully eliminate locks and whatnot. And due to a bunch of hard work from other engineers on the team, they're, like the lock system got completely overhauled and it's significantly better today to where you could get into games super quick and you could get into games so quick that through strictly improvements to our infrastructure and architecture, there came new ways to play the game. Oh, interesting. Which is back in uh, old school Diablo 2, you could only log in 20 times per hour. Okay. Which seems very high, right? Yeah, but yeah. There's certain enemies you could kill that give a lot of XP, and then you leave the game, and then you rejoin, and you just kill that one enemy over and over. Okay, okay. And you can so, basically farm yeah. the... Okay, great. And by improving our lock system, we said, why don't we raise the number from 20, right? Like, we could do mm. really interesting stuff if we don't put a limit on how many times players could join a game. And then it was so successful that players completely changed their strategy and just killed these different enemies over okay. and over and over and they got players to help them kill those enemies faster and like the um, the time it took to get from level one to a hundred was completely shattered because okay. we made infrastructure infrastructure improvements okay very very interesting case but players were upset with us so we yeah, <laughs> had to make well, a few changes to, to balance that out but i thought it was about, interesting yeah fascinating yeah but you talk about the sanctity of the economy and like if players can farm these like ultra rare items then yeah reduces the value and i don't yeah all sorts of all sorts of secondary effects so that's yeah. fascinating though yeah um 
the sort of, yeah, like second and third order effects of what don't feel like game changes. They feel like, yeah, oh, that's just infrastructure. It's just the stuff that supports the, but, you know, it has an effect too. Uh, yeah, it, it felt weird that we removed a 20 year old gameplay restriction. The community is like, put it back. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I understand most people aren't joining 20 games in an hour. Yeah. Um, but if you do really enjoy killing that one enemy, I think we should let you. It's sure. Just, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's, I mean, like from the, I joke a lot about stuff like that when we talk about uh, login restriction, you know, like rate limiting on account logins to make it harder in the security world for people to like do password testing, for example, where, you know, somebody, some hacker knocks over a Minecraft forum and gets uh, all of the passwords in clear text because it's a Minecraft forum. Uh, and then is like, hmm, I wonder who used the same uh, password for this Minecraft forum that they use on their bank account and goes and runs the email addresses. They do. They do. They do. <laughs> uh, surprising and unfortunate number of people do. And we're working to fix that, but it's going to, we have more work to do. Um, and it's very lucrative for these hackers. Uh, so I think they're like, uh, and there, that is sort of the banks have largely got this figured out now, although they didn't uh, 10, 15 years ago. But uh, anybody who stands up a new web service that has its own login form uh, eventually realizes that, like, oh no, is uh, somebody logging in like 20,000 times in an hour? That's not a human user, that is a bot. And we should probably not let them do that because, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, anybody who can type that fast uh, can wait. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's interesting that that was this, and that the sort of community dynamics around that are different in the sort of like game world than they are in the more businessy oriented world where yeah, people will find different ways to exploit that in the game. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you found this bug. Um, the the database servers are back up. Um, what was kind of the, I guess you, you fix the bug, you roll out the fix to production, the game servers start releasing the locks. Was there any other sort of like cleanup work you had to do um, on the incident? We, we preempted the cleanup by nature of having the script running um, as soon as I got back. Uh, it, if we hadn't committed to that work, then yes, there would have been quite a few locks to clean up prior to rolling out that game server fix the day after. Um, I'm trying to recall if there was any other fallout. I don't believe so. Like one thing we were really concerned about is did we duplicate items? Like, are we going to have to reset everybody back four hours, let's say? Because if, if we've corrupted the economy in any way, this is untenable. We got to just fix that. This is two days after lunch. There needs to be trust in the economy of this game. And so we were all good there, but that did take some work to figure out like, Let's go through our telemetry and see is anybody does anyone have a wild amount of something that they should not have? Yeah, um, and all good there. Okay, so that's where you can go to th those events that get kicked off by the game server when somebody you know kills an orc and uh, picks up the pile of gold or the ultra rare item and like look at that those logs and be like, okay, yeah, we don't see you know somebody spamming ultra rares on. Yeah. Um, so that that's good. Um, 
and you don't have to do that at the database level, which is also nice, yes. uh, because that would be another full table scan. Very full table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and have to get into that, like, that binary blob that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if we if we wanted to do any operations on the item, that blob would have been long gone, like yeah. not even in discussion. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, so yeah, so this the script has been running. The script has been sort of like releasing the locks for the game server. Roll the game server fix out. Was that? Um, it sounds like rolling the server out was a fairly like quick process. There wasn't a ton of like. QA steps or anything that had to go through to get that out the door. Yeah, we, we had a good repro internally. Uh, based, We knew what a bad data looks like. We have a bunch of tables, or a bunch of rows, rather, of what looks bad. So let's copy those into our development database. Let's recreate it. Uh, so we were pretty quickly able to recreate the scenario in which the server did not unlock the data, and then test with the new version. It does unlock. All right, this is a new release. Get it out ASAP. Um, and we did do a rolling deploy. We aren't, at the time, I'm not sure if things have changed. Um, it wasn't a super technologically advanced rollout. It wasn't a containerized server. It was just a binary we drop on a box. And, oh, interesting. You know, oh, wow. Start. So 2021, we, and this isn't CI, there's no CI CD. Somebody is like uploading. A... Uh, there was, there, there were CD pipelines to get it out okay. there. That's um, continuous delivery. Sorry. I, yeah. My, my, uh, my parents watched one of the first episodes and were like, <laughs> we didn't understand all the acronyms. I'm trying to uh, break stuff up, but yes. Yeah, so. that's a good call out. I've, I'm sure I've used a lot in this episode. I it's can... it's part of the work and people <laughs> do pick jargon. stuff up from context if, uh, but yeah. So, okay. So there, there is some, there's some continuous There was a job stuff. that was yeah. take this build and put it on our game servers. But the right. way we had to roll it out was not as easy as like one push, you know, yeah. take down all right. the servers. Because I believe our game servers at the time were not, our services were red blue, or, or red green, or blue green, or whatever color pair you would like to use. Okay, uh, yeah. Where we run newest on one version, and then when we roll out a new version, it gets deployed to the inactive. We make that active, and such that there's no downtime for that. We did not have that for game servers. Okay. So uh, there was a separate process where we had to drain, and then once it hits zero, restart, and it was very manual, very tedious. Okay, so that's drain user connections. That's like no new users are allowed to connect to the server. Mm -hmm. uh, all new user connections go to a server that's running the new build of the game's server. Uh, and then once everybody finishes playing and logs off from the old server, then uh, we kill that server process. And uh, now only new you know connections are being made to the new code. And we can see that like that's uh, working, I suppose. like. What monitoring, what are you monitoring to check that this isn't recurring? Yeah, so the, the query we ran initially uh, before my snafu was just the check locks older than five minutes. If that is happening, you know, there's still a bug here. But otherwise, game servers, if there's a lock that is older than that, anyone else has free reign to just, you know, this is inactive lock. Go ahead, for, go for it. Uh, so we did notice that decrease. It was not fully gone, um, but we couldn't reproduce the same scenario locally, so it seemed to be a different bug. Um, and the rollout is the tricky part for the game servers, because again, pets, not cattle, these game servers were special. So once you hit zero, we had to bring it down and restart it on the new version, which was kind of a confusing process where it's like, stage this binary, but don't run it yet. And then once you restart, forget about the old binary. It was a bit, 
a little bit complicated to do that dance. And uh, okay. that was certainly a retro learning, which is like, man, it sucks to deploy new versions. Okay, uh, interesting. Because it should be fast, right? Like, right. If we have yeah. a bug we want to fix. Yeah. We have to tell players, hold on, we're slowly restarting them all. It's like, right, yeah. They don't well, love that. And there's some poor SRE in the back who's like really functioning more as like a sysadmin yes. who is like logging into all of these servers and like typing a bunch of console commands. And it sounds like hoping that they get the console commands in the right order and they don't, you know, uh, fat finger anything. And that is a thing that we can build tooling around to uh, automate and manage. We, there is a very excellent uh, command and control interface of Blizzard where you okay. can get all of your nice. servers in one web view. And so it was very easy to send off these commands to multiple boxes. Okay. But the regexes we had to construct to selectively pick these game servers were nightmarish. And oh, God. Yeah. yeah. It was, if, if you want to talk about fat fingering there, fat fingering a regex and having to just like really, regexes are already unreadable, but like yes. trying to just piece out which part is wrong and regex 101 is constantly bookmarked and open it's like yep whew. yep yep yeah yeah we can we can offload that work to a computer which is better at doing it than trying to do this kind of yeah it's not quite bitwise string comparison by eye but it's definitely uh yeah uh reg regexes are regular expressions they're a tool for doing like very sophisticated searches over text basically um and we use them all the time in software but they're they've been around for a long time they're deeply arcane uh they look like somebody was just mashing on the keyboard uh and all of that keyboard mash has meaning and if you you know put a slash in the wrong place or you uh don't count quite right or any of a hundred other kinds of issues, you can wind up selecting all of the things you want or none of the things that you want or a different subset of the things that you want, which you did not want. And uh, yes, uh, no fun to do that. Uh, basically, while, you know, people are over in Twitch chat being like, well, game's still down. <laughs> Wonder when Blizzard's going to get around to fixing that. So I'm working real hard on my reg X's, guys. Yeah, I promise. Yeah, any yeah. second now. Any second now. Any second now. Just, just got to uh, just just got to run it through regex tester one last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, so there's so one of the learnings was like better automation tooling around doing like staged rollouts yeah. of these kinds of like fixes. Yeah, yeah. Is that a thing that like the newer like newer code bases, newer sort of like server architectures uh, have put into place. And this was sort of like a result of a lot of the code and sort of server architecture being pretty legacy or? I would say yes. Um, certainly in hindsight, I wish we could have modernized the server even more, right? Sure. Like having this in containers would have been a breeze. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the, the thought process about restarting a container is like basically non-existent because you don't really right. care about its lifetime. It's just... Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's the lovely thing about containers is like, yeah, uh, and that's moving from the the sort of like model of servers as past two servers as cattle, where it's just like, exactly. yeah, oh, these these servers are unhealthy, kill them and restart with healthy servers, like, mm -hmm. yeah, and all of the the container like ecosystem has built out the infrastructure to do a lot of the like we're moving connections from you know one of these pods of servers to another pod of servers without any kind of downtime. And so it's all very, uh, a lot of the tooling is already built for you there.
and yeah. And I, I would say the the other key learning we had there was, uh, it's particularly hard in games to really test end to end its scale. Yeah. Um, like you could do your postman for your servers if they're running HTTP, HTTP or gRPC. Like you could get pretty good scale with just your standard web dev uh, testing tools. But as soon as you have a custom client running its own protocol and you want to do end-to-end -end testing, uh, we found that we severely under-tested the game in regards to like some of the gameplay actions players were doing. Because they were finding unique ways to you know lock their characters that we didn't okay yeah. consider it's like yeah. oh yeah that will crash the game we probably could have caught that with gameplay testing but how interesting um, okay and I, I just bring that up because diablo 4 did invest very heavily into okay. automated testing okay and i think it's pretty widely agreed that diablo 4 had a very successful launch oh, nice. um, regardless of the gameplay just like the system sure. health was uh, yeah very cool. good comparatively I mean, games have always struck me as a really challenging environment, and this is coming much more from the web dev world, where, uh, you know, you make a web request, and uh, you've got, you know, a session token or whatever, so that the server knows that you're logged in as, you know, Kevin Riggle or whatever, uh, but the server is not holding on to a lot of state between web requests, necessarily. Um, generally, a lot of that state is getting persisted somewhere else, and a lot of state is getting persisted locally, and so uh, it's very easy to write an automated test suite where you can run through all the API endpoints and basically be like, you know, does this return the results that we expect? Whereas in a game, like, both a game client is basically a big, weird state machine. Yeah. Uh, and what a is game... a game if not state? It, yeah, yes, 100%. Where in the web world we are trying to remove as much like shared state as possible. That is the only thing that a game is, and so I'm actually like kind of impressed that they were able to do automated testing at all because that means that they're finding. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how you break that problem down. Um, I, I would encourage uh, you and your viewers to pay attention to how stable games are when they launch in the future. Okay. Because I think this is a thing the industry is coming around to, okay. where a game that launches poorly will be ridiculed and may lose a bunch of players initially, and that has consequences in the market. Yeah. Um, and I think players are no longer going to accept, like, oh, we had server issues. Like, you had server issues on the last four launches. What have you learned? What haven't okay. you learned? So Interesting. I think yeah. we'll see a, a shift in the coming years about how stable games launch. Okay, cool. To see. Well, that, that will be very interesting to see, yeah. Because, yeah, it is a really challenging environment and well and also all of the state interacts with each other like that's a thing that makes that particularly challenging you can't you know you know web app you can kind of say um you know these objects and these objects relate to each other in certain ways and so we'll interact in certain ways but if these objects don't have a relation to these other objects then uh you don't have to worry about their interactions because they can't ever interact uh <laughs> Oversimplifying. Uh, we all know the ways that uh, that's not true, and that's the cause of incidents in the web dev world. But uh, the uh, in the game, like, and you know, one item can interact with any other item in the game world, and any other player, and any you know thing in the environment, like any other piece of the state in this uh, system, like any of these things can interact with, and that makes. You can't constrain if you can't constrain the interactions. Uh, you have just like much less ability to uh, enforce invariance over it, basically, and simplify the problem of testing it because you have to test all of those interactions 
but that's exponential and so you have to pick the important set of those and that has always struck me as it the, the more i learn about the way the games work internally the more i'm impressed the games work at all like ever like i like that and a lot of there's a lot of human testing a lot of human qa involved in games is my understanding yeah but that only goes so far because you have you know like what 20 or 50 or 100 human qa testers but 10,000 100,000 you know 500,000 players and yeah yeah there it's well, I'll, I'll start with a prelude by saying human QA is one of the most invaluable and undervalued parts of game development that often gets overlooked. I think there's almost a stigma where it's just they're just playing the game because that's kind of what a parent who's not super involved with video games might think. It's like, oh, you're just playing video games all day. But the level of detail these folks go to find repro cases and what specifically they were doing is just incredible. And I don't mean to soapbox, but like human QA is invaluable to games and should be treated better than they are being treated. Yeah. But I've uh, heard stories of QA testers spending, you know, a, you know, days or weeks running into the same wall trying to figure out why, you know, uh, why there's some bug, you know, why under certain cases you can clip through that wall and fall off the fall off the edge of the world and die. Like yeah. uh, and that level of obsession almost. We, we were often given dedicated QA, so like this person's very familiar with how backend is integrated. And they don't oh, have a computer science degree. Sure. They're just yeah. listening to the terms us engineers throw around. They're familiarizing themselves with them. Yeah. And they're actually applying them to the game. And oh, it's like that is such an invaluable skill set to have someone who's willing to do that. And also just such a complete lack of um, prioritization on engineering's part to want to help automate some of these things that human testers are doing. But right. I digress. Um, yeah. Human testers are invaluable, and to, to your point, there's a lot of human testers on games. It's, yeah. you know, hundreds, I think, is the correct number, more so okay. than, like, tens okay. for Okay, interesting, yeah. Fascinating, yeah. But all, all, they also have a limited amount of time to do this, oh, yeah. and they're, and yeah. A game comes out, and let's say there's 100,000 players, right? Yeah. And those players play for an hour, and yeah. they just wiped out three months of QA time, right? Oh, like, yeah. Just in terms of scale, pure numbers, yes. QA can't test. There's not enough QA, so right. yeah, things and there never can. There never can be enough. Yeah, the world exactly. is just the, the real world is just so much more enormous than any organization we can possibly build, uh, and so we will always be finding things in the real world that, you know, we you know could have found if we had you know followed the right path, but. You know, like a big, it's a big pachinko machine, uh, and we're only ever going to get to uh, the parts of it that we get to, and there are always going to be things outside of our, uh, you know, at the tails, outside of our ability to test, which the real world will show up, and we will have to cope with live. So it's then all about building these processes, you know, whether it's automation, whether it's tooling, whether it's experience and um, uh, skills, and just, uh, you know, or organizations in to like respond effectively in these moments when like you know the real world throws us a curveball yeah cool. that's my soapbox uh, <laughs> so what did like how did how did the organization handle it with you um, yeah i this is i think this is probably the most influential part of the entire incident for me yeah, was yeah. how the team handled a major outage caused by me and it was yeah. nothing but support and like a pragmatism that I, I didn't really expect. I was expecting some form of retribution, even though the team had never been like that. It's like, all I had to do was think a little harder 
and really just run the query by a DBE and we could have avoided this. But the team understood that a blameless culture is how incidents get resolved when you could volunteer that information without fear of retribution and you could actually resolve stuff. And that, that stuck with me because I, I was 24 at the time. Again, never been in an incident of this scale. And I very well could have caused financial damage to the success of the game based on this incident if people stop playing because they lose trust. And it was just, you know, here's what we should have done, here's what we'll do in the future, etc. And it was never personal the entire time. And that was just very, very, I'm very appreciative of how that was in. Yeah, yeah, that's how it should be. That speaks very well of the culture there at Blizzard. Yeah, it speaks very, very well. Yeah. Well, and like, you're never going to make that same mistake again. Exactly. I have a reverence for the database I did not have before. I understand yes. the power it wields. Yes. Um, and really, like we talk about single source of truth or single point of failure. That, that big old box of state is what that is. That and exactly. You, you it respect is. that box. Yes. Whatever yes, you have you to do. do to protect it, you protect it. Yes. Yes, you do. Well, and also the, you know, it sounds like the organization learned a lot like about how important and fragile that box was. And, you know, even sitting here, I'm hearing this and I'm like, this is surprising me. Like there are some things going on here that I did not know. And I would have made exactly the same you know, I would have been like, oh yeah, this is a totally safe query to run. Like, I don't need to run this via DB. Like, um, it's not it's not changing anything. Um, what could possibly, uh, and that gets me, what, to finish my thought, uh, what could what could possibly go wrong if I press the enter key? Uh, and so that gets me into asking questions like, oh, what's the storage engine doing under the hood? Like, what storage engine are we running? Like, uh, why is this happening? What does this mean for other queries that we could run in the future or, you know, other queries that could be running as part of a monthly kind of, you know, background process uh, that could cause similar issues? And uh, where might we see, you know, a similar kind of thing crop up in the future? Um, but yeah, uh, so I hope it, and it sounds like the organization that sounds like the folks at Blizzard like uh, took those lessons to heart too, and looked a lot at like, yeah, okay, how can we automate the recovery process, and what we need to learn from this as well. Which is, yeah. Anything else that sort of like stuck out to you from the whole experience? The the only thing that the, we we wrote a blog post when we were going to refactor and get rid of the the lock system. Um, and this was one of the rare times where we talked about implementation details with players, where it's like, we talked about, we have this global database and then we have these regional databases that were the rights go to and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and something that I was really impressed by was the community after reading the blog post was just super appreciative that the developers were talking at all. Um, and it is easy as a game developer and I'll just generalize to software engineer. Um, we care about our users or players or what have you. Um, but you might not necessarily think of the power imbalance between you two or necessarily the like relationship. Um, because just us saying, hey, sorry the game has felt bad lately. Here's the steps we're doing to take it. Here's the timeline. That was super well received. Like yeah. telling telling your players that things aren't working and you're working on it typically doesn't go well. But just when you put some level of care into the communication um, and 
be like, here's the feedback we've heard. Like here specifically is how we're listening to you and not just the good old we're listening. But, you know, here's the feedback we're actioning on uh, was super well received. And since that moment, I've always thought a little bit more about what is the relationship between a developer and a player? Because I'd like it to be good. I'd like to get to a point where players don't actively dislike developers for adding bugs or making the game worse, which is a, a modern thing in gaming, which is kind of interesting. Um, and as developers, be completely cognizant that players are your game. Yeah. If you have no players, it doesn't really matter what you've built. So respect your players and do right by them. So yeah. that, but uh, just the, the reaction of that blog post was very heartwarming to me. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my like corporate experience, there were times where we were really worried about legal liability if we talked too much about what was going on under the hood, you know, that people would sue us if, you know, we talked too much about what had happened, like, you know, were we negligent or something. But I think that uh, we similarly found that providing a level of context and, uh, you know, really honestly, uh, providing enough detail that people could see, oh, yeah, this is a hard problem. And, uh, they are doing, you know, they are working on it. They are doing the best they can. Uh, and, and feeling like the community feeling cared for, I think, uh, then I guess the community responds with care for the developers and that sort of mutual, um, making, making that mutual connection happen is important. There's uh, studies about like doctors, you know, uh, who have a similar kind of, uh, problem uh, and, you know, a huge liability from like medical malpractice lawsuits. Right. And yeah, they've found in study after study that like, if the doctor just comes out and says, I'm really sorry, you know, I screwed up. I was, and I, you know, what, uh, wasn't able to save your, you know, sister, daughter, mother, father, brother, son, uh, grandparent, whatever, um, that both the family members, you know, uh, come away from that experience being like, oh yeah, you know, uh, the doctor did the best they could. And, you know, the, you know, on the corporate side, like they're much less likely to get sued. Right. Uh, and, but, con but convincing management of that uh, is uphill always battle. an uphill battle. And so I am both grateful to hear that, you know, Blizzard management was willing to like talk about this stuff and that the response was so good. And I hope that that sort of like, um, because I think that it's a poll that we're always going to orbit around is people being like, no, I don't want to talk about what went wrong. People will, you know, will blame us and think we're bad people and like uh, people will get mad at us. And so, yeah, just keeping that feedback loop healthy and open is like going to be something that we're always working on, that we're always going to have to uh, remind people of and reinforce. So, yeah. Um, Zach, this has been super good. Uh, uh, it's been really, really fun chatting with you. Uh, where can people find you online? Basically nowhere. Okay, yeah. great. I've scrubbed basically all my social media. Um, great. After a wonderful 2022 and 2023, it's for the best, and I'm relishing yeah. it. Good, good. Uh, enjoy freedom, touch grass, uh, and yes, <laughs> good. Um, well, I uh, just have to find you when you pop up on other things. Um, uh, and what are you working on now? I forget the name of the place that you're at. Yes, I'm at a studio called Disruptive Games. We're working on an unannounced project that's being published by Amazon Game Studio. Uh, no details I could really provide because it's all. Uh, but keep an eye out for it. Disruptive Games, really happy with what we're working on. Excited Good. to show it off. Good. Yes. Well, we'll find out when we find out. Super excited for it. Yes. Um, 
this has been Critical Point, uh, the War Stories podcast on Critical Point. Uh, uh, with Zach Johnson, I'm Kevin Riggle, uh, and uh, we'll see you all next time, folks. Thank you all so much for watching. If you liked that, please like and subscribe down below. It really helps the channel. And also, we have another great episode coming hot on the heels of this one, and you aren't going to want to miss it, so do get subscribed. Also, if you have any insight into that MySQL behavior that Zach and the team at Blizzard ran into, I would love to hear from you in the comments below. I have some guesses, but it's been a long time since I ran MySQL in production, and I know some of you have been deep in the weeds on it. Like I said at the top of the show, we are now available in audio on all the major platforms, as well as video on YouTube, plus full edited transcripts, which you can find at warstories.criticalpoint.tv. Getting professional transcripts and captions done and integrated is maybe the single most time-consuming and expensive part of getting each show done and posted, but I personally want the show to be as accessible to as many people as possible, so please take advantage of them. Intro and outro music is Senpai Funk by Paul T. Starr. You can find me on Twitter as at Kevin Regal and on Mastodon at KevinRegal at IOC.exchange. My consulting company, Complex Systems Group, is on the web at complexsystems.group. And with that, folks, till next time. <laughs>